Welcome to the MLB Trade Rumors Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the MLB Trade Rumors Podcast. My name is Dara McDonald, and I am your host. Oh, wait, what's this? Hold on. I'm getting someone's talking in my ear here. And yes, I've been removed as host by the Baltimore Orioles. Dang. Talked too much about their past struggles, and they have removed me from my hosting duties. That's just a little inside joke in the baseball media world. Uh, with me for the podcast this week is my MLB Trade Rumors colleague, Steve Adams. How you doing, Steve? I am doing all right. Uh, I was not prepared for that little Orioles segue, so you, you got me got me laughing a little bit there to start the show. Well done. <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Kevin Brown... Orioles broadcaster apparently was removed or suspended from the broadcast for highlighting the fact that the Orioles lost a lot <laughs> to the Rays in recent years, which yeah. is insane. It is categorically insane. Like that is like some state TV nonsense or something, but <laughs> like, they haven't played well in, at the trap and that's fine. And, and he did a, a nice thorough job highlighting it and wasn't, you know, unfair and ragging on them. I was just kind of saying like, Hey, they've struggled here. And it's, I hope he's back in the booth as, as soon as possible. That's ridiculous in every facet. So <laughs> not a great look. It's so nuts because it's not like it's some big secret that the Orioles have been bad recently. Like, all yeah. the information is out there. Like we, 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 they lost a hundred games, like what, like four years in a row or something like that. Right. Like, it's not like he's giving away state secrets. Yeah. And they're, and they're awesome now. And like, it's totally fine to point back and say like, Hey, the reason that they, you know, they were terrible for a long time, but that's led us to this point. I, that, that's nuts that, <laughs> that played out that way. Anyways, turning to the on-field matters. Yes. We talked last week about the arms race that is the American League West. At the trade deadline, most of the biggest moves involved players going to the American League West. The Angels got Lucas Giolito and a couple other players. Rangers got Max Scherzer and some other players. The Astros got Justin Verlander and some other players. But the team that has been the hottest this week has been the Seattle Mariners. Right, Steve? Indeed. And uh, they are kind of fortifying things. They just put uh, put Brian Wu, uh, one of their really talented young pitchers, which they seem to just grow on trees in Seattle, um, put him on the injured list this week. And then it's just kind of next man up. Uh, they're going to call up Emerson Hancock, the number six pick in the 2020 draft. Uh, he's probably not quite as highly, despite that draft status, not quite as highly regarded as Wu and Bryce Miller and Logan Gilbert and George Kirby were when they came up. But you know, having a really nice year or pretty nice year down in double A. He's had a few really tough starts, like a couple of different nine run uh, meltdowns, but he still has a mid four ERA, good strikeout rate, respectable walk rate. And he has been on a roll uh, the past couple of months, sub three ERA, even though one of those nine run meltdowns was mixed in there. So you take that out and he's, he's somewhere around a two ERA the last couple of months with, with plenty of strikeouts and, and good command. Uh, yeah. They're on fire despite trading away Paul Seawald, a really good closer. And I feel like this is just kind of the Mariners lot in life. Like every, like they, they, I don't know if they are the most roller coaster ish team, but I feel like it is just constant, like hot streaks followed by 
stretches of utility. I, I feel for Mariners fans in general because you know we run the chats on the website and everything, and it is just constant like doom and gloom or here we go world series it's 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 one or the other um it's it must make for like a very stressful full season watching and, and living and dying by those games uh, a lot of gray hair um being fostered up in seattle while following the mariners constantly but they're playing really well right now um i've maintained you know my thought that uh if this team can get to the postseason they're dangerous i prior to the season uh did not pick them to win the division but picked them to win the world series because i thought that with that starting pitching that they had and granted paul seawald was a, a part of this but the the back end of the bullpen that they had with seawald and, and andres munoz um, and some of the other arms that they had there i think they're dangerous in a short series where they can properly rest and adjust uh, and get their best arms on the mound at any given point so I am excited to see if they can uh, keep up the hot streak because they're a fun team to watch in the postseason if you like good pitching. And I love good pitching. That's fascinating. I forgot about that. I just looked it up as you were saying the staff predictions because I thought I had done something similar and I just checked it. And I also picked the Mariners to get a wild card spot, but then lose the World Series to the Mets. (laughs) You didn't have to add that second part. You could have just said, but losing the World Series and trailed off. That would have been just fine. It just show, goes to show that, uh, you know, baseball's wild. Uh, it is. So much has changed in the past few months. But, um, yeah, the Mariners, it will be fascinating because they sort of did a similar, like, buy-sell hybrid to what they did in 2021 yep. when they traded uh, Kendall Graveman, but then also brought in Diego Castillo amidst some other moves. And, you know, as you mentioned at this deadline, they traded away Paul Seawald, but also brought in some current pieces that could help them right now in uh, Josh mm-hmm. Rojas and uh, the other guys they got from the Diamondbacks. And at least so far, I mean, we're talking about a small sample size here, but so far it hasn't, you know, had the same like deflating effect as the last one seemed to have because they've, you know, they won five in a row, eight of their last 10. So good for them. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. The flip side of this. Yikes. Part of their hot streak has come at the expense of the Angels, who they just swept. And the Angels are now in a very tight spot, uh, losing seven in a row. We talked last week about, uh, you know, how exciting it was that they were going for it and, you know, going to try and win while they still had Shohei Otani. But now they're below 500. How many games out of a wild card spot are they coming into tonight? Eight games out coming into tonight. Uh, we're recording this, I should say, on Tuesday, August the 8th. It's an awkward spot for them, Steve. It is. Um, I'm not going to. I still like the fact that they that they pushed in and went for it. And obviously they're not, you know, completely as the Mariners themselves show. You know, a week ago we were kind of talking about how it's looking more and more like a three team race. And, you know four or five or six straight wins can, can change that outlook in a hurry. And the, you know, angels certainly have the ability to do that talented team, but it's, uh, it's tough. It's not going to necessarily get any easier for them with uh, the, I think they have two of the next three series coming up are, are in Houston and in Texas. Uh, You know, a lot of people said that they were kind of silly to go for the, the all in push that they did when they had a tough schedule coming up after the break. I still just, 
applaud the, the the sentiment. Maybe it's maybe it's stubborn. Maybe it's bullheaded, both by them and by me. But uh, I I love the hey, we've got a chance here. We've got a once in a generation superstar. Like we'll never have another talent like Otani. Like let's do it. Let's go for it. Let's try. Um, I still I love the aggressive mindset. I think teams should go for it um, when they have the opportunity. Um, but it's this this past week has has really been a killer for them. You know, Fangraphs has their their playoff odds down under two percent at this point. It's it's uh, it's pretty brutal, um, and it's discouraging uh, for Angels fans after that brief you know rush of excitement following the not just the Giolito and Lopez trade, but then to go get Grichuk and Crone. Um, it's gone about as poorly as possible, and it's it's unfortunate for Angels fans. But I I still like the the sentiment uh, that was behind the push. Sure. Yeah. Love the sentiment, but uh, the early returns, very frustrating. And isn't that the story with the Angels? Um, Elsewhere in the division, yeah, elsewhere in the division, the Rangers, although they are still atop the division, they got some rough news uh, this week. Josh Young, uh, thumb surgery. Uh, so he's going to be out, I believe it's six weeks, six to eight weeks was the estimated timeline. So his season is starting to be a little bit in jeopardy. Not, not for sure that he's done. I mean, if he comes back in six weeks, that gets you late in September. So he could still come back, but obviously he's having a great season. And so that's less than ideal news for them, Steve. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, he's got to be. If not the front runner for American League Rookie of the Year, he's certainly one of the the top contenders. It's it's tough for a tough loss for Texas. Obviously, you know they have a pretty nice crop of depth on the, the position player side of things, and uh, I think you'll probably see Ezekiel Duran, who's having a, a nice season himself, probably step in and, and take up a lot of the uh, a lot of the bats in his place. But that's it, you don't want to sugarcoat a loss like uh, like Young. He's had a great season, um, was billed as kind of this potential third-base cornerstone uh, from the time that they drafted him, and and, and so far so good uh, on that outlook. I think the other the thing to consider here, too, is the manner in which uh, it'll <clears throat> impact both Rookie of the Year voting and then and then some of the, the new wrinkles uh, that come along with Rookie of the Year voting in the, the new collective bargaining agreement and how that could damage the the Rangers kind of long-term uh, future outlook through rewarding them for the season that, that Young has had and, and for placing him on the opening to roster so early. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a good uh, point to bring up. I'm looking at the rookie leaderboards now. So, I mean, uh, at least according to fan graphs, which, you know, is not gospel, but uh, gives you a good guide. Both Young and Henderson have, uh, Gunnar Henderson, that is, have 2.7 wins above replacement right now. And so I think it's fair to say that a lot of people would consider them the top two. But now with Young sitting out the next six weeks, perhaps uh, that gives Gunner a chance to pull ahead. And, you know, maybe that will impact the Rangers' ability to get a draft pick. Mm-hmm. So a first-round draft pick is in the balance. Maybe the scales have tipped towards the Orioles away from the Rangers, but that's more of a long-term concern. In the it short is. term, and we should. I was going to say we should mention we should give Hunter Brown a mention as well. I mean, sure. probably, I'm assuming looking at the the, pitch, the position player leaderboards and everything there, but there's there's some good uh, you know Hunter Brown, Tanner Bybee. There's some some good-looking um, pitchers who could potentially, with a big finish, work their way into the mix, but. Yeah, I, I think if if not the favorite, Young was right neck and neck with Hunter with, with Hunter with Gunter Gunner Henderson. Holy cow! And, <laughs> uh, 
having uh, some troubles over here. And I, I think those those are the two kind of front runners right now. And so it's you don't want to say something's good news. Somebody getting hurt is good news for the Orioles, but it's it, uh, um, there's there's no good news about about Josh Young getting hurt. But it does uh, make the Orioles' chances in that regard uh, a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. But in the short term, the Rangers are going to be playing without two of their key contributors because they also lost Jonah Heim not too long Mm -hmm. ago, and he seems to be facing an extended absence as well. Yeah, so really, really good catcher. I don't think people talk about how good Jonah Heim is. Underrated. uh, It's so underrated. I I wrote about him on the site a couple of months ago, and he hasn't, until this injury, hasn't really slowed down. He's just a, he's a fantastic young catcher, and a lot, a lot of focus gets put on how much money the Rangers spent to build, to bring in Seager and Semyon and et cetera, et cetera. And, and fair play to that. But like, they've had some really nice uh, development stories. Heim probably chief among them. He's, he's just been fantastic this year. Yeah. I think uh, this is going off the top of my head, but uh, I wrote up the news of his surgery on the site. And I think he was trailing only Sean Murphy in uh, wins above replacement this year. So uh, at least at the time he, you know, the news of the surgery dropped. He's essentially yeah. been the second best catcher in the big leagues this year, which is yeah, he's, uh, on both sides of the ball. Just, just, just really good. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the AL West is fascinating to watch. Lots happening there. Let's pivot to the East. Cause some big news dropped today, which is that, you know, the Rays put Shane McClanahan on the injured list last week with uh you know i forget what they said like forearm inflammation or tightness or inflammation yeah yeah one of those forearm things where it's like you know that could be anything sometimes those guys come back uh, after a minimum stay on the injured list and sometimes they get really really bad news and we didn't really know what was going to happen with McClanahan, but it came out today that it's more it seems like it's more likely to be on the bad news side of things. Again, we're recording this on Tuesday, so it's possible more information has come out by the time you're listening to this. But the news as of Tuesday is that Kevin Cash came out today and said that it's highly unlikely he'll be back this season. And also that everything is on the table from, you know, removing bone spurs from his elbow all the way up to flexor tendon surgery and Tommy John surgery, which would put him out not just for this year, but also potentially all of 2024 as well. Uh, so obviously that is uh, terrible news for the Rays because uh, McClanahan is very, very good. Right, Steve? He is exceptional. Uh, we want to keep uh, touting my my probably failed uh, preseason picks. He was my American League Cy Young uh, prediction heading into this year, I believe. Um, he's just been so good, like from the moment that he really, you know, kind of settled into that rotation. Um, it's just a really, really promising combination of missing bats, limiting walks, keeping the ball on the ground and, and keeping the ball in the yard. Uh, he does everything well, you know it's just a really good combination of, you know, missing bats, um, limiting walks, keeping the ball on the ground, keeping the ball in the yard and doing so uh, generally in, in bulk, you know, he throws hard. He's, he is by today's standards uh, generally like dirt. Well, maybe not so durable, but uh, on a per start basis, he'll, he'll take the ball fairly deep into the game. Um, it's, it's just really deflating for the Rays given the injuries that they've already had in the rotation. Uh, Jeffrey Springs had Tommy John surgery earlier this year. Drew Rasmussen had the, the flexor surgery that's going to set him out for the rest of the year. And like you said, if this really is like a worst case scenario um, and it's not just, they're going to remove some loose bodies uh, or something like that, then yeah, potentially being without 
McClanahan for all of next season um, or most of next season, if not all is, is brutal. You know, the Rays keep running into these um, they have all this pitching talent and, and kudos to them for the, the ability to, to turn it out to the extent that they do, but they can't seem to get all of them healthy together. I mean, it's easy to look at this group and imagine if you had a healthy McClanahan and a healthy Shane Boz and, and a healthy Tyler glass now and, and, and Jeffrey Springs and Drew Rasmussen, like that, that is a, a juggernaut pitching staff um, that would that far and away be the best in, in the majors. Um, and with, you know, Glasnow only signed through next year at, at the, the one year and $25 million. Now, I guess it's, it's kind of an open question whether you'll really ever see all of those arms in the same rotation together, which I mean, again, going back to, I love good pitching. That's a shame. The McClanahan one is is probably the the biggest blow yet, at least uh, this season. I mean, he is, uh, in my mind, he's he's a legitimate number one starter, and uh, it is just really tough to replace anyone of that caliber, especially now. You know, if this had happened a couple weeks before the deadline, maybe they could have gotten more aggressive. And add, they they did add Aaron Savali, which I'm sure they're you know saying thank God we did that. But if this had happened three weeks ago then maybe they would have gone out and gotten a second arm. And that's just not something that's on the table for them right now, which makes this all the more, all the more devastating news for the Rays and for their, their bid for a long postseason run this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even in the short term, uh, I mean, the, you mentioned, you know, Springs and Rasmussen and all, all the different like blows they've had, you know, things are really starting to feel a little bit flimsy there. Yeah. Um, Glasnow was uh, scrubbed from his last start with some back spasms and it uh, was reported today that he got like some kind of injection. I don't know if it was like cortisone or what, but like got some kind of injection is going to be shut down for a couple days. So let's see how, what happens there. Uh, Zach Eflin is healthy, but you know, he, it was just a couple weeks ago that he was getting an MRI on his knee and he's yep. always had knee problems forever. Aaron Savale, you know, like you mentioned, it's great that they got him, but he's also has a lengthy history. He's never pitched 125 innings in a major league season because he's always kind of going on and off the injured list. And so there's lots of vulnerabilities there. And now if you subtract McClanahan from it, it really starts to feel like, you know, they're still in the top wildcard spot. And, you know, the Rays have a way of figuring these things out, you know, bringing up guys from the farm and navigating these sorts of challenges uh but at the same time it feels like their margin for error is the slimmest it has been in a long time so a very challenging situation for them elsewhere in the east some teams that are in even worse position the yankees lost carlos rodon again to the injured list steve yeah i mean it's it's tough to draw up um a worse first year since signing that, that six year contract. I mean, I guess if he had just had, you know, season ending surgery, like, you know, out of the gate, uh, that would have been worse, but I mean, short of that, um, it's just been kind of a Murphy's law season for him where it's just anything that can go wrong, more or less has gone wrong. Um, and I feel like that's kind of emblematic of the, the Yankees season at large. Um, but yeah, you know, Radon has, I think he's, been held to to six starts with an ERA north of seven. Uh, he hasn't been at all the the ace caliber guy that we saw uh, the last two seasons. Really, his his last season in Chicago, and and then the the one year that he wound up having in, in San Francisco. Um, I think you everyone knew that obviously injuries are are a big risk when you're when you're signing. You know, look at Rodon's injury history. Like 
this outcome isn't exactly unforeseeable. They didn't go sign, you know, somebody who had, you know, snapped off 10 straight 200 inning seasons and oh no, he got hurt. Um, you knew this was possible. It doesn't make it any easier on them. You know, a lot of the Yankees hopes were were pinned on, on Garrett Cole and Carlos Rodon pitching to the, the full extent of their capabilities. And Cole has he- held up his end of that. Um, Rodon has not. And you just look at what's happened elsewhere throughout that rotation. And, you know, Frankie Montas uh, might not pitch at all this year after the shoulder surgery prior to the season. Luis Severino has just just degraded into one of the the worst starting pitchers in in the American league, which is not a sentence I ever would have thought I would say a few years ago. Um, Nestor Cortez had a, had a 60 day IL stint. They're really just kind of like riding everything on, on Cole and, and to a lesser extent, Clark Schmidt, who's thankfully for them at least stepped up as, as kind of a, you know, solid fourth starter type um, that's helping kind of stabilize things a little bit, but uh, the, the rotation just, you you talk about it looking or feeling flimsy in Tampa Bay. I, I think it's that. And then some um, in New York right now up in the Bronx. And uh, I don't know how much faith you can have that, that Randy Vasquez or, or Johnny Brito is going to come up and, and be the answer. So the, the Rodon uh, injury saga this year has been, there've been a lot of reasons that the Yankees have have struggled to the extent that they have, but that is one of the, one of the top ones. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's also the lineup has not been great. Uh, this year, especially with Judge out. So, you know, having this uh, rotation with uh, so many guys either out or not firing on all cylinders, it's not great. A very uh, less than ideal situation for Rodon. Uh, One other noteworthy thing happening in the AL East this week is Trevor Story is coming back, and he's a big unknown at this point. He is. I will be interested to see how he's used now that he is coming off the injured list. I know um, there is a lot of uh, you know, drama is the right word, but a lot of much, much discussion uh, in the, in Boston and among the Boston media of kind of how story pushed his, you know, rehab window almost all the way to the, to the full extent, even though it, it seemed like, you know, he, he kind of came out when he, uh, first started that minor league rehab assignment, he came out swinging and, and hitting well and, and looked like maybe he wouldn't need a particularly long one. He kind of said like, no, let's push this back a little bit more. And, uh, you know, I, I believe I saw, I can't remember which, which uh, Red Sox beat writer today, but say that it sounds like he might uh, at least early on be used more like every other day or, you know, two out of every three days kind of thing, be on a limited workload when he's first easing his way back in. He'll be playing shortstop for the first time, really, for his extended period um, with Boston now that uh, Xander Bogarts is gone. And, you know, much has been made about uh, his his throwing issues in recent years, and now he's had this elbow surgery. And so um, we'll see, you know, how he looks and, and if he's able to, you know, kind of play the, the high-end shortstop that he once was known for. Um, but the Red Sox, you know, they're not, they're certainly not out of postseason contention. They're, they're five games back. I don't, I don't think people, you think of them necessarily at the forefront of the wildcard race, particularly with how things have gone of late um, dropping, you know, uh, seven of their last 10 games and, and kind of looking a little bit deflated following the trade deadline, but, but story, you know, a bat like that and, and generally just a player that talented um, can inject a lot of life uh, into a clubhouse. And, this is a team that has been using Yu Chang and Pablo Reyes and an out of position Kike Hernandez uh, at shortstop for the duration of the season. 
shortstop has been a major issue for them and and getting someone as talented a story in there uh, could be a difference maker in the final few weeks of the year for sure. Yeah, and he he is an important part of the Red Sox, not just now, but in the future as well. He Absolutely. is in the second year of his six-year deal. So obviously, Red Sox and their fans will be hoping that they get a charge here and make the playoffs. But also, even just getting him back after missing, you know, so many months and seeing him in good form going into the 2024 campaign you know getting to that place where you're like okay we have our shortstop that would be great for the red Sox going forward going into the offseason in addition to the short-term concern of trying to you know salvage this season before it's too late let us get to your questions here we put the call for questions and you sent them in. So let's go. The first question is from Raymond. Any chance that the Cubs try to sign Belly, Cody Bellinger, to a long-term deal? Uh, I think that they would have interest in it probably. I suppose it's fair to ask how he fits into the long-term picture because they do obviously envision uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, one of the top prospects in baseball, as their center fielder of the future. But if they love Bellinger, there's certainly room to work him in across all three outfield spots and at first base and a designated hitter and, you know, get they'll, they'll make it work. Um, I think Bellinger and you can disagree with this assessment if you if you like, um, I think given his age, uh, he'll be 28 this offseason, won't turn 29 until next July the extent of the rebound performance that he's had this year and just the fact that it is an awful market for position players. Uh, he is someone to me who has a, a strong chance to come out and, and get the nine figure deal that I think a lot of people would have expected him to get in free agency before the, the, the injuries really tanked his, his last couple of seasons uh, in Los Angeles. Um, you know, to me, he's a guy, he's, he's a hundred million, $150 million plus, uh, player i don't see how they would look at uh at george springer's you know six years and 150 and think you know we we got to top that i, I think that that's going to be the goal and uh, you'll probably hear some as is often the case with high profile boris clients you'll probably hear some crazy numbers in terms of asking price uh, early in the off season but it's going to be uh a situation where this is one of the highest most highly sought after um guys on the market and the Cubs have the, the wherewithal to sign him and, and to, to spend at that level. It'll just be a matter of whether they think that, you know, addressing center field flash for space in the long run uh, is their top priority when they have uh, a kid in, in Crow Armstrong who they really like, who will be probably uh, in the majors at some point next year. Yeah. I mean, it seems uh, it seemed in the most recent off season that, Bellinger and Boris didn't even give too much thought to any kind of like creative multi-year deals. You know, we've seen some other people coming off of down years like, uh, you know, Michael Conforto and other people sign these sort of like two-year deal with opt-out after year one kind of thing. Mm -hmm. With Bellinger, it was just one-year deal. That was always the rumors. They just want a one-year deal. Whoever gives them the best one-year deal, they will take it because the plan all along has been sign a one-year deal, have a bounce back season and then return to free agency. And so clearly that plan is going gangbusters. 
Um, yeah, and you mentioned George Springer. I'll, I will also throw out uh, Brandon Nimmo, who just signed yeah. for $162 million in the most yep. recent offseason. And, you know, they're not the exact same player. You could debate, uh, you know, Nimmo had question marks around his health and only really had like one full season before the Mets signed him to that deal. But he was more consistent than Bellinger in the sense that he never really had the big like down years that Bellinger has had. He has better on base than Bellinger, but Bellinger has more power. And so, you know, you could sort of, there are differences, but when you look at it, they're pretty comparable in the sense that they are above average uh, center fielders who have the capacity to, you know, give you five, six, seven wins above replacement in a given season if everything goes right. Bellinger, I think, is actually going to be a year younger because he's going into his age 29 season, whereas Nemo's 30 this year. So... Yeah, like you said, the $150, $160 million range is not off the table. So the question is just, uh, the Cubs could sign him, but it's just, you know, are they going to pay that amount of money when, uh, yeah. you know, some other clubs might? We're, you know, we're even we're even selling him a little bit short here on the age. Like, he just turned 28, so next year technically will be, because the, the way that they establish your age X season is your age on, on July 1st and Bellinger will be 29 on July 13th next year. So next year will technically be considered as age 28 season. So, I mean, there, there'll be, there'll be pushes to get him 200 million plus, uh, particularly with, with Boris, um, you know, driving the negotiations and everything. And I don't think that's entirely out of the question. I'm a little more skeptical of the full extent of the bounce back than some people. His, you know, batted ball numbers are not great still. He has like, he's averaging like 87 miles an hour off the bat with like a 30% hard hit rate. It's not what he was at his peak when, you know, his, he was averaging 91 off the bat with like, you know, 46% of the balls he put in play coming off at 95 miles an hour plus, but you can't argue with the results. He's been amazing. Um, he had a, a brief little down patch after he came back from the injured list. And, and now he's right back to where he was, uh, if not hitting even better than he was early in the year. So yeah, we're, you're looking, yeah, nine figures, 150, 200, somewhere in that range, you're going to hear some crazy numbers. And there's not a lot of alternatives for teams that want to add a big left-handed bat or, you know, a, a high quality everyday center fielder. So he'll have market scarcity working in his favor as well. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to the next question. This one is from Ian. Of all the players on the Dodgers' injured list, which will have the most immediate impact both now and for the postseason not named Kershaw? Um, I think there's two uh, that really stand out to me, um, and that's Walker Buehler and Blake Trinan. I'll just run through. I don't think Trinan is on as many radars as maybe he should be in terms of like somebody who can come back and, and help out. So I guess I'll I'll run through him. Um, but yeah, he uh, the Dodgers general manager Brandon Gomes uh, said that he's um, he's been throwing bullpen sessions uh, recently and, and and getting close to facing live hitters. So it, it seems like there's a chance that that Trinan could be back um, before the end of the regular season. Even um, you know he's. 35 year old coming off of a major shoulder injury. So we'll see um, what that looks like, but you know, prior to, prior to the shoulder troubles, this is a guy who last hundred ish innings, 103 innings uh, with Los Angeles, you know, 245 ERA. Um, he's striking out 28% of his opponents, keeping the ball on the ground at just a, a, a huge 56% clip. If you look at just his last two seasons and, and granted the 2022 season was only five innings because of injury, but 
that 2021 season that he had was just sensational, like sub two ERA, uh, ground ball rate north of 52%, uh, struck out 30% of his opponents. This is, it's, it's, he's a, he is a like high quality, high caliber, like high leverage reliever. Um, and he'd be a huge boost, uh, to the, to the, late inning relief core in, in a postseason series, if he's able to both return uh, prior to the end of the season and have enough time to show that he looks back into form and to gain uh, Dave Roberts trust um, with some, you know, some quality work late in the season. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, uh, you know, like uh, you pointed out, he has only pitched five innings since the end of 2021. So yeah. hard to bank on him. But yeah, if he's back to the way he was in 2021, huge difference maker. Um, yeah, I, th- I would I would say Bueller for me is the big wild card there because I mean, the rotation has been such a big question mark for the Dodgers this year. They've had so many injuries there and even um, the guys who have been healthy have been kind of like meh, like Julio Arias has a 469 ERA this year. Tony Gonsolin has a 442. They just got Lance Lynn as their like big deadline pickup. His ERA is over six. They tried to get Eduardo Rodriguez and supposedly had a deal in place that he did not waive his no trade clause for. So if they can get like a healthy Bueller back and, you know, he's said, even though he's going to be coming back from Tommy John, then he wants to try starting. So if he can come in healthy enough to, you know, take the ball in a playoff game, that's huge. Okay, so let's get to one more question here. Uh, This one is from Mario. Are the Angels manager and general manager's jobs in jeopardy if they fail to make the playoffs? Um, It's a fair question, obviously, especially after... um you know, the, the big push to, to go ahead and, and bring in Giolito and, uh, and Reynaldo Lopez and Randall, Randall Gritchick and CJ Crone. They were obviously very active. We talked about it a little earlier and how, um, it has not gone well with the seven game losing streak. Uh, I am, I guess I could see Bill Nevin, their manager being in more jeopardy just simply by virtue of the fact that he's only on a one-year contract. Um, he signed a one-year deal last off season, uh, kind of under strange circumstances. That was when the Angels were still entertaining offers on a potential sale of the team. Um, you didn't necessarily want to uh, hire a manager and, and sign them to you know, a four-year contract and then be pitching to new owners. Like, hey, you know, this is your manager. You have to have this guy. He signed for X amount of money for the next several years. So I think going with some continuity and, and keeping Nevin on a one-year contract um, made sense. And the sale talk has since more or less ended. Um, and it seems like Artie Moreno is going to continue on as the, uh, the owner of the, the angels for the foreseeable future. So through that, in that sense, it's possible, I guess that they could say, okay, well now, you know, we're going to give uh, Perry Manasian, their, uh, their general manager, really a chance to, um, you know, bring in somebody who he deems as a, as a long-term fit for that chair uh, this is only Perry's third season as the general manager there. I feel like it would be pretty quick to, um, they hired him in November of 2020. By today's standards, that's a pretty quick hook on, on a general manager um, that, you're, that you're bringing in. So I, I tend to think that he is safe, even in spite of some of the, the struggles that they've had. Um, but a change at manager certainly seems possible just 
simply based on the fact that, yeah, Nevin doesn't have a contract for next year, whereas I, I believe Perry is signed through 2024. So he has at least one more year left on the uh, on the contract. I think that if the Angels miss the playoffs, everything is on the table. Fair. I, w- I would not be surprised by anything that happens at that point. If the, the Otani experiment doesn't work out and then he, you know, we're all assuming that he signs with another team. I don't know that that's a guarantee, but let's, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are assuming that he will sign elsewhere, but I think anything is on the table. Like a total rebuild could be on the table. Like trading Mike Trout could be on the table. Like I would not really be surprised by anything that happened in the wake of this, you know, could just, cause if you don't win with Otani, what are you going to do without him? You know, like it just seems like they just have to consider drastic measures in some fashion because you can't they've been like tinkering around the edges of the roster recently and it hasn't worked so far. So if they don't do it again this year, I think all bets are off. That's fair. And it's always a horrible, like morbid thing to say for (laughs) but it's always it's kind of exciting in a way, like not for Angels fans necessarily um, and certainly not for the people who would lose their jobs in the scenario. So but like when a team kind of just finally commits to like this big direction and says, okay, you know what? It's time to blow this up. You see lots of wild trade activity and it just makes for like a lot of fascinating storylines to follow. I mean, imagine like a Mike Trout trades, like that would be, that would be one of the the most high profile like trade situations in, in recent memory. So it, there's always a, a level of excitement that comes, whether it's a team deciding, you know, it's time to blow this up. This isn't working or uh, a team saying like, Hey, like the angels did at the deadline, like it's time to, to really go for it and make this push. So, um, but to your point that it's a good point. If you're not, if you can't win with Otani and trout, then there should be no guarantees in place for anyone. All right. Well, we will have to wait for the off season to find out about that. That does it for this week. Uh, we will be covering all the goings on in the baseball world as we always do at MLB trade and the off-season stuff will gradually ramp up as it gets closer and closer. You can find that at the website, and also if you sign up for the newsletter, you can get it sent directly to your inbox, or you can keep listening to the podcast, and we will give you our analysis in audio form. You could sign up for the front office package and get extra content delivered to your email, and get rid of those pesky ads on the website, and we will talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Remember to visit MLBTradeRumors.com and follow us on Twitter at MLBTradeRumors. Rumors.